Sue Savage. And I'm Claudia F. Savage. And And we're we're Thick in the Throat Honey. The podcast where parent artists share how to fit art making into their already full lives. Inspirational quickies. In under 30 minutes. So, all that which we just said will not be on the it's all good, but we're, you know, we're, we're just, we go, do you have a question at all, Jacqueline? Do you have anything you're thinking about? <sighs> you um, no, I mean, I, you know, I figured, I, or I suspected that maybe I made you late because I was so late in getting my information to you. <laughs> no, but, um, not you. But the question or the vexing part was really difficult for me because... I don't know. Like, I couldn't think of anything specific. Yeah. I think generally, um, and I also wrote it out a couple different ways and then kept deleting. And I was just like, I don't know. I think what's frustrating is I feel like sometimes maybe I miss out on opportunities because I have like a whole entourage to consider. <laughs> uh, but but then I'm not sure if it's just me and I create this, like, if if that's like some sort of excuse mechanism or, you know, like, I don't know. I can't tell. Yeah. Because you're so, in it. Cause you're in it. And by the way, we're going to, we're going to just, we're going to just go there. Hi, we're, we're thinking <laughs> the third honey. Uh, and I'm, I'm John Savage. Oh, and I'm Claudia Savage. We're actually, we are thinking the third honey as a duo, but we are individual people. We, so yeah. yes. <laughs> that's, that's why you hear two of us right now. <laughs> yes. And I'm Claudia F. Savage. And um, we are here with the wonderful visual artist, Jacqueline Brickman. Thank you, Jacqueline, for joining us. Thank you for having me. This I'm is very fantastic. excited. Um, so Jacqueline, I'm just going to do a quick little intro because I looked at your bio and I was like, I love this. I'm going to read the first line of your bio because it's so groovy. Um, Jacqueline is originally from Detroit, Michigan. She's now living in Columbus, Ohio, but she's a visual artist whose work aims to explore the effects of competitive survivorship within natural and cultural ecosystems and the dynamic interrelationship between people and their habitats. And that's no lying, man. Your stuff is like... Your stuff just goes there. So I, I, you know, I just have to say this. I met Jacqueline at the Gentile Artist Residency um, over a decade ago now. And uh, we, I remember you were working, you were like, <laughs> first time I met you, you go, yeah, I'm going to need some, um, some cow bladders or cow stomachs <laughs> or like, <laughs> like you were, you were asking, you were going to like fill these pieces of cow you know most, with most people most people think when you say oh do you need anything in artist residency you like need a desk you need a cow <laughs> or maybe yeah. you like like a marshmallow ch- fluff yeah, or something yeah. but no cow bladder mm-hmm. yeah cow but i didn't actually go there with it mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. because i think I, I um at gentel and then beyond something that stuck with me is i'm really interested in the dynamics of uh, well, culture, like where environmentalism and culture kind of collide. And one of the things that I've been trying to navigate this whole time is is creating a conversation that's not offensive, you know, like how do you engage with people about a subject that's really touchy without making people really angry um, or, or thinking that it's a personal attack against them and being in cow country um, and I feel like we, maybe we discussed that or yeah. as a group, like, you know, my aim is not to it's it's to engage people, not to push them away and like wag a finger at them. So 
So that was the beginning of, of I think, a lifelong uh, <laughs> lesson in, in engagement and discussion and, and finding value and not like, you know. Right. Not, not being that finger with like, how dare you eat cow? I know. Cause I think actually at that point, this is funny. Cause I think at that point you were a vegetarian then, but then you got pregnant. What happened? Did you start oh, me? I forgot. I was a vegetarian. Uh-huh. When the yeah. bacon sandwiches started, right? <laughs> yeah. That's no, I was really craving hamburgers. When they get pregnant. I remember that. Cause <laughs> I remember seeing like a post on a blog that was like, I was like, Oh, Jacqueline's eating cow. Like it was amazing. Cause how that shift yeah. Well, I think, you know, it wasn't that odd of a shift because I had only been vegetarian for a couple of years. Yeah. I grew up eating meat. And so it was, it was a couple of years, but then, yeah. So it seemed really big in the moment, but now in the scheme of things, that was sort of fleeting. <laughs> sure. I often think our oldest actually is sensitive to dairy. So he, he does eat meat, but he's like avoiding all dairy. And I keep thinking, man, we should just cut out all animal products. But with kids being so picky, it's hard to, you know, I feel like that would be a really important life choice. Uh, But it's also so scary when one kid will only eat string cheese. Yeah. You have an ecosystem with, uh, Five people to balance in your in your home and then uh-huh. trying to balance. Yeah, I mean, what what are some ecological things you consider like with your family with having five? I and mean, we, I mean, for example, I mean, we're talking about you know food, vegetarianism, yeah. waste, uh, garbage. I mean, you know, what, yeah. What are some what are some of your your thoughts about that? You know, some people always do cloth diapers. You know. Uh, we didn't. Um, and we, we didn't because we were like, we're going to have one, and this is our one insanity. Yeah, yeah. We're going to yeah, yeah, use yeah. the disposable. Yeah. Scary. We did, we did do the cloth diapers um, for, not for our first, but for the second and the third. Um, and really, now that they're all in school, so we homeschooled for several years, but with myself becoming a student again, and this fall my husband will be a student again, um, And so school sort of is a necessity now. Um, But but now that everybody's in school and we were buying a lot of prepackaged foods for lunches and I just couldn't like, man, the waste Uh in all like every little thing being individually packaged or like wrapping a sandwich in saran wrap, (laughs) you Uh know, yes. I mean, one thing we try to do is just reusable lunch containers, uh, which seems like so meager in the scheme of things. Uh, but like buy, you know, we buy as much as we can in bulk. So like maple syrup and honey, we buy in gallon jugs instead of small containers. And I feel like maybe that's less wasteful, yeah. but I don't know. Waste is is something that I'm always thinking about and... And I think even making, I've thought about trying to use our waste to make artwork, but there's just something that becomes so cliche about that. I mean, not always. There are some people who do it so beautifully, but I I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a really tough problem. Yeah. To sort of, and you have, cause you have three kids. We didn't mention that you have three kids and what are their ages? So they are 10, seven and four. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and they have the cutest names in the world. I mean, Felix, Sabine, and Ruben, right? Yeah. They're so cute. (laughs) 
There are so, some accused people. So just kind of gleaning from your bio, there, there, between the three of them, I imagine there's some uh, competitive survivorship of sorts <laughs> in the house. You know, I think I wrote that part of my bio before I had three children, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, that does happen. Um <laughs> But they are being three years apart. They do have, they certainly fight, but they do have a pretty nice flow. They're, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're all at really different stages in their young lives. And so I don't feel like they have to fight too much for our attention because their needs are slightly different enough to where we can fill them in different ways. And how do you guys balance that, Jacqueline? Like, do you guys make art together? I know you've incorporated them a bit. I'm curious about that. Yeah, that's that's something that I find really unique about you is it's not, oh, here, Andrew, take the kids. I'm going to see you. (laughs) From day one and probably before, you really had your children included in your art making. Yeah, I remember pictures of you, like, with them on your back while you're, like, doing art. Yeah. Well, it's really, so, I mean, Andrew's a really huge part of this, too, and he's an environmental science scientist, um, so he's also interested in the social side um, and looking at the environment, and so, I'm, you know, we, we talk all the time about all of these issues, and, and just our output is a little bit different, um, but... But in any case, I think our values are the same, and and that's what makes being in a partnership with him so great. And so the children are just an extension of both of us, Um, and they're just always along for the ride for either one of us. So our setup, like with work, has always been that, you know, when one of us is working, the other one is with the kids, and then sometimes we can work it out to where the kids are with us at work, and um, that's... That's getting easier and easier, actually. As they've been getting older, they're more used to the flow of being in places with us, and um, they know what to bring, and they, you know, our oldest loves reading, so if he's bored by something, he always has a book. And uh, the middle, Sabine, is, is identifies as an artist herself, so she loves just being a part of everything that we do, whether she's drawing or helping. She always wants to, like know how she can engage in the process as well. And Ruben, the youngest, is, um, yeah, he just gets in on the flow. I mean, he loves, he's a worker guy. Like, he loves tools and engineering. And so if I hand him a screwdriver or a hammer, he is good to go. So (laughs) we've kind of gotten this flow of um, they're just great accomplices for, you know, if we're working in – in my studio or on location, like in a gallery, they come with me sometimes. Um, but also just being outside and, and doing, doing work there. Like they're great. You've done like, so you're late. I know that you did like this amazing, like you did frog and toad surveying at one time, but now you've been, your latest project is like with black walnuts, right? Like, yeah. About that. So, yeah. So, um, Actually, since you mentioned the frog and toads, that that really was a big turning point in my work because it was something very active. And I've always been looking for a way. I spoke earlier about engagement, but doing something active. Um, I feel like whenever I make objects or two dimensional works, they don't feel finished to me. There's something about process that's really important in my work. And so 
Um, so being volunteer frog and toad surveyors was <laughs> amazing because Felix came with us and we had a job. Like, I feel like I love having a job to do <laughs> in addition <laughs> to my art making, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was great because we had to memorize all of the local frog and toad calls that we would um, that we would be able to recognize. And so I was struck by uh, the way man-made objects were used to help people remember the sounds of the calls that the frogs and toads wow. make. So that struck a whole body of work that I feel like I never totally finished, at, um, but yet in my mind, it's one of my favorite things that I've done. Um, but then that sort of rolled into last or two years ago, 2016, I did a survey project that was survey both in the sense of like a land survey and a written survey. Um, and so we, I went to, I think, 18 different locations and set up this survey tent that was based on a traditional A-frame American historical tent um, and took soil samples and water samples and um, had people kind of work collaboratively to choose an area in, in the landscape to survey together and do drawings of. And so my kids were super important in that process because they had done it with me almost every time and they knew the routine. So they were sort of a part of like helping the other people participating in this know what to do. Cool. That's really, That's really cool. Really like, they're great. Like they know what to do. So people see what they're doing. And then those people know without anybody telling them, like, this is how you, you know, participate with this work. That's they just sort of the kids give them permission to just be a part of it. Uh -huh. um, so the black walnuts, um, we, we moved to Columbus last August for you to go to grad school, right? For me to go to grad school. You, you and your entourage. Yes, you, you and your yes. total entourage. I mean, you picked him up. This is the thing, Jacqueline. I was like, I am so impressed because when John and I talk about moving, I'm like, oh my gosh, we had to find a new school and we had to block. But see, look, I only have one kid. Like, I need yeah. to stop my complaining. I, I think a lot of parents, of course, they're sort of like, no, we're here, we're settled, we got the school, yeah. but we uh, got to do it. But you, you guys have shown that. And to go from so like, mobile, yeah, you know? and to go from like not from homeschooling to then integrate putting them into school is like a whole nother, yeah. It's, yeah, it was a lot of, it was a big transition and it certainly was not easy on everyone. <laughs> I don't want to create that that sort of facade. Um, it was tough, <laughs> but, but it was really worth it. The kids love school now. Uh, there are definitely some challenges where with homeschooling, the flow is just so much different. So, um, so our fourth grader seemed more prepared for the public school experience than the first grader did yeah. because we really hadn't been pushing reading on her, but then there were a lot of heavy reading expectations. And so that part was, a, that's, that's a little bit tough. Um, but yeah, for the most part, they, they just, children are so resilient and I'm just astounded by how much we can learn from them. I mean, they've needed a lot of support and encouragement through through all of the changes, but um, 
it's almost like I needed those affirmations and <laughs> them needing me to say it to them was also me saying those things to myself, you know, like we are okay. This is great. We're making new friends, you know? <laughs> and you're like, I'm weeping in the corner, but it's good. It's so good. <laughs> but, but yeah, when you're in it together, you know, you have that, you work through it together and it makes everybody a lot stronger. So yeah, that's, that's feels pop. So you, so you went and we were talking about the black walnuts. I'm sorry to digress. Yeah. I just had to ask well, so, so that was just, um, and what, do we have some video about the walnuts or we do. Uh, we have, we so have, we'll put up on, yes, the, yes. on the podcast yes. because I know when we talk about black walnuts, I'm sure people are thinking, Oh, like, I don't know. We got a bowl of walnuts with a nutcracker in our cupboard there, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's not yeah. what we're talking about. What are these walnuts made of? What do they look like? Well, well, so there, I have a whole I've been working with walnuts for a year now, so there's a lot of different things going on. But um, but it started because uh, black walnut trees are native to Ohio, oh. and they're everywhere. And so I was biking the Olentangy Trail, and they're just, like, running over walnuts with my tires. And I started thinking about um, trees that absorb a lot of carbon dioxide. So I came upon a list of, like, 12 or so trees that – absorb more carbon dioxide than other trees. And the black walnut tree stood out to me on that list because you can also use the husks from the walnut to make ink. So my initial project was to uh, learn how to make black walnut ink or dye and then use that as a data visualization for carbon dioxide. Oh, cool. So sort of like an output of carbon dioxide absorption that the tree does. Yeah. Um, so I'm still I'm still working on finishing that project because the the last thing that I want to add to it is a carbon dioxide sensor. So when the sensor um, can sense carbon dioxide from people breathing, that's what will trigger this drip system to drip ink. Um, Weird. Oh, so it's yeah. not just so, okay. Now I'm understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there. There is a video that I'll share with you, but. Um, but there, basically, there's a hollowed-out tree stump, and then there's another tree stump that has uh, a tube going from a jar of ink, and the um, so the ink drips. And I believe it's been a little while since I looked, but I think it was uh, one drop is about how much carbon dioxide a tree with 60 trees absorb per second. Um, so I made these little booklets that have a kind of a black walnut poem or words. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so the booklet is something that I gave out at the exhibition and then people take the booklet and they hold it under the ink and they get to take a drip home with them. Oh, so. cool. That is so groovy. I mean, I'm sorry. Thanks. This is so cool. <laughs> but then I kept working like the black, black walnuts are so amazing. They smell so good and they're so beautiful. And I'm just totally, in love with them. So I kept, um, I was also learning a bunch of new technology because I'm a student. And, um, and so I've been working with them through 3d modeling and playing with them in, um, some sort of computer, um, programming with max MSP and jitter. And so I have this, I made this wacky 3d modeled, uh, or 3d printed, uh, walnut disco ball 
and it's, uh, that's awesome. It's ridiculous, and some other sculptures. But but I found that I was so busy last semester, and I was really focused on looking at uh, the black walnut as a a source of creating new mythologies. But I kept making all these objects, and they were just not fulfilling. And I I realized through conversation with one of my one of my uh, mentors that. I'm just not an object maker. <laughs> and oh. so I just, I'm not, I'm more interested in space and environments and people moving through spaces than, than making these individual objects. And so, um, so my latest project was the breadth of a walnut. There's a D in there. <laughs> <laughs> size. And it's, it's a play on the word breath, but it's also about the, you know, the size. So they're, um, these gigantic inflatable walnuts made out of space blankets. Oh, that's what you're uh, made out of. They're amazing. Okay. Yeah. So each one has six space blankets. I made a big pattern and cut out all these pieces and uh, taped them together like you would sew a cloth ball. Uh, and then they're hooked up to bathroom ceiling ventilation fans, actually. Um, and they they have a timer set to them so that they... Um, they're in, they inflate and deflate like they would be breathing. Oh, okay. oh that's awesome! Yeah, when I when I saw the video, I thought this is this is some sci-fi. Like, what are these <laughs> these these cocoons breathing in this space? It's very yeah. interesting, right? I don't, people need to look at it. I yeah, guess. they do. <laughs> they need to see the like the feeling. Yeah, that's that's what I love is like that interaction that you always seem to have but, with your work. But your process to get to here is really interesting. And, yeah, and the way yeah. that—that's really amazing, fascinating how you got there. And then well, the it's, it's so frustrating in the process, though. You're right. You know, like like you keep working and working towards something, and nothing's working, and then finally you have that moment, and you're like, ah, there it is. Just if you could quickly, Jacqueline, just one little technical thing that I'm sure I, don't, I, I understand a little bit about it, but I'm sure people would be interesting. Can you just very briefly talk about how the Max MSP, how are you, what is this program? I think people would want to know that and how I've seen it used with music. So I kind of have a notion mm -hmm. of that, but how, how are you using it in part of this process? I'm not quite understanding. Well, I think that's because I don't fully understand either. <laughs> no, I took a class that was sort of a Max uh, basics class. And so, so yeah, it, it's foundation is in music. Um, but a lot of artists are using it now for installation and performance design okay. because you can really just hook anything up together. And so it allows um, you to do things in real time with with your space or with your objects. Right. Yeah. So I was using it. Um, I mean, for a long time this semester, I was just playing with it to figure out you can do anything with it and it's, it just feels really overwhelming for my brain. But, um, I, what I came to in the end was I was using it to get data from my CO2 sensor of, of my breathing or whoever else happens to be in the room and then transfer that data into, well, basically whatever you want. Um, so I've been playing with transferring it into altering videos so with so it uh, you can change like, oops. Did we? We're still here. There. Okay. You're can here. you see me still? We hear and we see. We hear you. you. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Okay. I can't see you anymore, but 
Um, oh. There it is. So, um, so, it was, so you say that it was like someone would breathe and then there would be a change in video or whatever? Yeah, yeah. so the video starts to flicker um, and I changed, you know, you can change the color. So I'm still playing with how this will work out because this is a project I have to finish up. It was a, it was a grant project. So that's coming to an end in September um, and I'm re-presenting the, the work. And so... Yeah, I need to figure out how how to use that sensor then and how to let people, the viewers, know that they are a part of the artwork, mm. the process, you know, like how do I take their data and display that to them in a visual way so that they understand that so that's it's also like real time, right? Like where you have yeah. some of those people that like you go to something and you're you're dancing in a space and like the light changes or something, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I've also been playing with webcams and in in Max, um, MSP and Jitter, you know, you can have that real-time video affecting other things or it can find like a specific color in a person and their move change, their movements change, something else that's happening. Mm -hmm. So this is really um, new technology to me. And so that's why my descriptions might be very confusing. But uh, yeah, I think you've done I'm a really good job. No, I think it's been yeah. great. It actually yeah, helps yeah. It, it because I think when someone's learning something new, it actually their descriptions of like their process actually makes more sense than somebody who really knows it well and goes, oh, you just plug in the X to the blah, blah, blah. And then you do the boo, boo, boo. Oh, yeah. nice. A lot, of really a lot of musicians I've seen use it. Get, it gets really technical really quick. So your explanation yeah. of how you're using it or use it is really beautiful. And so, <laughs> thank you. I'll take your class now because I've, I've shied away from this program for about 15 years. So maybe I'm ready now. <laughs> Oh, the class I took was fantastic, I will say, but it was so, I, it's the hardest class I've ever taken because I'm so interested in technology and I'm always seeking it, but I'm also not a natural. So my brain has to work like twice as hard. <laughs> so, but the fact that you're, you know, you're exploring, do you feel like your kids have, um, have sort of helped like your conceptualization maybe of how to make art like like in terms of time you had mentioned to me before that you can like totally get into a tunnel and like even though there's a complete disaster in the house you can just focus have you always yeah. been that way or is it due to them um <laughs> i think me well maybe it's always been that way but i think it's definitely amplified greatly by having them um, because I, I have met other artists, parents who say they can't focus on their work until their house is clean. And I would never get to work because my house will never like, uh, I just, I can't keep up. You'll be, but, you'll be 60 by then. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, got so, you know, down. tunnel vision definitely helps. Um, I think the trap that sometimes I get into is putting on a movie because it's so easy to help them have something that just keeps them still. But I feel like the older they get, the easier it is to give them a job or make sure they're doing something that they love doing. I mean, we had a day I'm, I'm teaching over the summer and we had a day where we, we had a childcare like overlap or mishap, you know, like, so I brought them to class with me, but they sat in the hallway and they just like hung out and drew and read and 
like for about an hour. And it was amazing that they were able to do that. The older two, when they were four, I don't think they would have um, been able to, but because the four-year-old has, you know, the seven and 10-year-old as as role models, that he just knows like how to be a part of the crew. So. Yeah, that's good. It's good. You give hope. You're giving hope to all artist parents out there. <laughs> yeah, we took River last night to a, a meeting for a performance we're doing, and, and River did great. She colored, and she actually really loved the guy who had the cigar box guitar. I mean, there was, that was like that was really amazing to her. So yeah. there's a little bit of sharing of what people's projects were for, for this particular performance. And, and uh, you know, they, they can they can do it. They can do it. I think I think we all need to change the mentality yeah bring your kids they can hang out in the hallway or uh, yeah and and maybe and don't ask permission this is part of it too i didn't ask permission to bring her i just was like how long is the meeting going to be with everyone sharing their work and she showed up and like all the other people especially there's this one woman who was a clown it was so into her and like you know i think this is part of it is like this notion of um while the other artists will hate that there's a kid there it'll be disruptive no actually it's quite the opposite love it amazing yeah Yeah. well that's what we're doing this week clowns and cigar box guitars (laughs) 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 and you're doing breathing donuts yeah That's wonderful. I I find that that's so true. I always think that people are going to be annoyed or frustrated, but I'm I'm always pleasantly surprised that people really really enjoy having the kids' presence. It's just such a positive yeah. thing to bring to a place, and they bring a, a lot of joy. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there may be a cultural shift happening, and I, yes. and I you know I suppose this is part of the conversation here. You know, so yeah, that people do they they kind of brings them out in, mm-hmm. in a different way in community. Yeah. Right. Because we tend to think of like, we, and also I think as artists, we tend to be in our heads and like our project is so important to us and whatever. And then, and then you have this like little person there who's like making jellyfish next to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, there's that. <laughs> like, you know, or, but you know, the other things, uh, so the kids were with me when I was setting up the breadth of a walnut and, um, and when the, because I had some dance, um, dancers come and perform movements with it for the event. But when they were there to practice, um, they were inspired by my daughter who was looking through, you know, she was looking inside through the, um, material to the inside of the walnut and, and nobody had thought I didn't think to do that. And she was like, Whoa. And so that became a big part of the process for not only for myself, because then I'm like, wow, I need to capture that in documentation and I need to make sure that people understand that when they're visiting, they can like put their face into it. But also for the dancers who are, you know, moving through these, um, that was a discovery for them too. And it all was inspired by the kids because they just have this innate playfulness and the ability to just, they're just so honest and real about what they're doing all the time. And they don't have to feel like this is art. I'm not allowed to touch it. You know? Yeah, that's right. So like they know that they have to kind of ask or they have to feel out the situation, but they also know that if they're gentle, you know, it's for them. So, yeah, that's beautiful. That's, I think that's beautiful. That's a, that's a good place to end. I think. Thanks so much, Jacqueline. Jacqueline. This is such a wonderful conversation. We've had so much fun. It's been great. So much. So great. We're gonna have all your your videos and 
your bio, all that good stuff. We're going to have it up on our on our podcast, and we're at thickinthethroadhoney.com. We're also on Instagram, which I need to update more. Um, and Facebook, which I need to update more. See, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And Medium, um, where we have our blog as well. Which and, we need to update more. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, my gosh, totally okay. true. Right. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we've so enjoyed this conversation, yeah. and um, we look forward to seeing more of your work and hearing more about your kids and all that good stuff as time goes on. So. I hope you guys will check out everything. We're also on iTunes and soon to be on Stitcher if I can get my act together. See, this is what we always say. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next month with another wonderful parent artist. Great. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. You don't actually have to go. You don't actually have to go. <laughs> yeah, we're fully done. <laughs>